Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, church. (laughs) That's what I want to hear right there. Good morning. Today, we are continuing in our time in 1 John, so that we may have certainty about Christ. So if you have your Bibles, if you will open with me to 1 John chapter 2, this morning we will be in verses 7 through 14. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14. I'll read the passage. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Who do you hate? That's probably not what you were expecting me to start off with this morning. Who do you hate? Now, you might be thinking, not me. I don't hate anyone. Strangely, this word hate we use it in some really weird ways. So my sons, they hate onions. 
And they really, they really do. They really have, they do not want to be in the same place as an onion. And yet, I'm guessing for most of us, when I asked you, who do you hate? You thought, I don't hate anyone. I'm a, I'm a lover, not a hater. I, I, I'm peace, peaceable. I get along with people. Even if you are having a feud with someone, you probably still don't think, I hate that person. We're much more ready to say that about onions or I don't love jackfruit. I love durian, but not jackfruit. But we're not as quick to say that actually when, when it comes to human relationships. I had a good friend named Chris. We went to high school together in Manila, uh, in the Philippines. Um, we would meet up and hang out in one of the many malls in Manila, watch movies, hang out at McDonald's. Then we actually both went to the same university in the United States and we were roommates for three years. So you could say we had a close relationship we shared the same group of friends. We did a lot of stuff together. But then something happened. We each did something that offended the other one. And then we stopped talking completely. We even started hanging out with different groups of people. And just like that, Years of close friendship was wiped away overnight. The most amazing thing about this is what made us part ways was a really small matter, really. And yet it caused a division in our relationship. Now, I would never have say it said that I hated Chris. And I doubt that Chris would have said, I hate Michael. But my actions revealed the truth of the matter. In truth, even though I would not have said I hate him, in reality, the way that I treated him was hate. Emotions control us much more than we think. We like to think that we are above that, that other people are prone to get swept away in their emotions, but not me. Unlike other people, you're able to clear away the emotions and just use clear thinking. But that's not true. Nobody can do that. We all get our feelings hurt at some point or another. Sometimes even without realizing it, we can hold grudges against others. We might develop a dislike for someone because they annoy you, or maybe they seem rude, or maybe it's because you think they do not like you. Think about your own life. Imagine someone invited you to eat a meal 
with someone, with the person that you least want to eat a meal with? Who would that be? And why would it be hard for you? When our emotions take hold of us, it actually does great damage to us. We, we allow the roots of hate to enter in. And tragically, if we're not careful, these emotions take us down a road that leads to darkness. This morning, we'll walk through this passage looking at these three points. A new commandment, hate, a doorway to darkness, and overcoming the darkness. A new commandment. We begin this passage in 1 John with what may even seem like a riddle. What is an old commandment that is also a new commandment? In Jesus' final week on earth, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And this was an important time of Jesus giving really his like consolidated, condensed teaching, his final words. He's preparing the disciples for a time when he will not be with them. Jesus is preparing them for what is about to happen, that he will be executed on a wooden cross, that he will be buried in a tomb on the third day, rise again. And then he would appear to his disciples for a time, and then he would leave. He would ascend to heaven. And Jesus doesn't want things to change among them. Even without Jesus walking physically among them, they still, he still wants them to live in the ways that he's been teaching them to live. And so he says this in John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A lot of people come to church services. Many of them would think of themselves as Christians. But we know not everyone who attends church services is genuinely a Christian. And one way to detect those who are more genuine in their devotion to Christ is by the way they love others in the church. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't just mean loving a few people that you already like or that are related to you. I mean, loving those that, with whom you have nothing in common. I mean, loving when it is inconvenient or maybe requires some kind of cost. This is such a radical idea that it feels like a new commandment. But John reminds his readers that it's really not that new. It's a consistent teaching in the Bible. We can go back to Leviticus 19, verse 18, and it says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
shall love your neighbor as yourself. Rather than take vengeance or bear a grudge, we are to love. Notice that it does not say whether you are justified in your need for vengeance. And surely there will be times when you are wronged and it will feel natural to bear a grudge. But justified or not, we are called to love rather than bear a grudge. Even when we are wronged, when Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, this is how he answers. From Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I mean, that, that is all the law and all the prophets stand on these two, this kind of two-part commandment. Man, it is worth us thinking about and considering deeply. Love God, love people. This is important. Our love of each other is directly tied to our love of God. 1 John 2.10, verse 10 in our passage today, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Love for one another. Let's move to our second point, hate a doorway to darkness. John knows that it can be easy to pretend to love others, but inwardly harbor hate. And he also knows that our hate stands in the way of truly loving one another. So much so that he basically says it twice in here verses 9 and 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. And then he says again, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The one who hates another is the one who is in the darkness. But, but as I opened with, the, the tricky thing about hate is it wears many disguises. There are many people in our lives that we have more or less fooled ourselves into thinking we don't hate them. Maybe you've said one of the following. I don't hate him or her. We just have clashing personalities. I don't hate him or her but he or she doesn't seem to like me. I don't hate him or her. It is just better if we're not around each other. I don't hate him or her. I'm just drained when I'm around him or her. Hate is hard to, 
I think really wrap our minds around because I think it is so subtle. If you look up what hate is in the dictionary, it simply says an intense dislike. And I don't know, you know, when dislike moves into intense dislike. I, I, there's, not, there's not a meter for that, right? Um, and so ultimately, this is a matter of the heart. This is a, a matter of inner examination. I can't tell you if you are hating someone. Only you can really do that work with the Holy Spirit helping you see that. Too often, we're not honest about our lack of love for others. And, and we deal with our hate in different ways. So sometimes we gossip as our expression of hate. Sometimes we hold a grudge inside us silently. Sometimes we wish for things to go poorly for the other person. Sometimes we experience jealousy or envy. Sometimes we feel better or superior to the other person. This is a, this is a big one and I think more common than we would like to admit. When you feel better than the other person, then it'll be truly hard truly difficult to actually love that person well. You might try to help them, but it's not out of love. It's out of a sense of superiority. In Proverbs, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Hate is not something that you can manage or control, it grows, it festers, it spreads from your heart to the hearts of others. When someone is on the other end of hate, which I suspect you have experienced, then it affects that person in several ways. We impulsively hate back. We do it without even thinking about it. But that's not all. The, the impact of feeling unloved, it wounds us. And the wounded tend to wound themselves further and they wound others. In other words, hate has a ripple effect. When we hate another, we are, in essence, rejecting those created by God and who are loved deeply by God. See, our, our, our hate for our, our relationship with each other is directly related to our relationship with God. They can't be separated out. In other words, our Hate for one another is essentially anti-God. When we studied the first chapter of, of this book, of 1 John, it said in verse 5 that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
And we saw earlier that hate, those who hate are in the darkness. Do you see the contrast there? When we develop hate towards someone, it is a step in the direction of darkness. And so in a world of, of where hate is the norm, how do, how do we avoid it? How can we possibly uh, defend from it? So overcoming the darkness. Darkness does not just go away on its own. Hate doesn't just get better. Thankfully, the scripture we are studying today doesn't just tell us to stop hating. That would be a hopeless endeavor. Verses 12 through 14 suddenly shift to give affirmation or certainty to the believers, to those who are genuinely in Christ. Notice there are six statements, and he addresses three different groups, dear children, young men, and fathers. And he's not addressing, um, I, I think we, we're best to understand this as pe pe where people are at spiritually. Those who are young in the faith, those who are finding their stride in the faith, and then those who are mature in the faith. So like, for example, when it says father, there are some translations that will say to you who are mature in the faith. So I'm going to walk through this section with four key words, forgiven, known, abide, overcome. One, forgiven. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Verse 12. C.S. Lewis wrote an essay called On Forgiveness. And in it, he explains that when we go to God for forgiveness, that we often actually um, aren't so much confessing our sin and seeking forgiveness, but quite often we are making excuses. I sinned, but it's really not my fault, God. You see, these things happened. We're asking God less for forgiveness, but rather trying to get him to understand why we sinned and to excuse us for it. But actually, God sees right through our excuses and knows that our excuses really aren't as valid as maybe we think they are. But then Lewis says that when we are in a position to forgive someone else for the, for the way they have wronged us, we're suddenly no longer ready to accept such excuses. We expect God to accept our excuses, but we do not accept excuses from others to us. We have been wronged, and the other person is clearly at fault. We are sometimes resistant to forgive, precisely because something wrong was done. So to forgive is not to dismiss the wrong that was done. To, to forgive is not, if we are just dismissing the wrong that was done, 
that would not be forgiveness. Rather, it is to acknowledge the wrong and yet no longer hold it against them. There is no excuse for the wrong. It is inexcusable. So therefore, he says this, he concludes, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This is hard. It is perhaps not so hard to forgive a single great injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son. How can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our when we say in our prayers each night, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy ourselves. This is the beautiful thing about Christianity. Christ did not stand back waiting for us to get good enough Rather, he met us where we are. And where we are is all mixed up in hate and unforgiveness and jealousy and pride and all of the other things that characterize darkness. On the cross, Jesus died so that our sins might be forgiven, so that we might live in the light. Two, known, verse 13. I'll go through these last three points more quickly. Because you are, because you know him who is from the beginning, it says in 1 John 2.14. At first glance, this seems like a simple statement. But there's something richer happening here. It's, it's the difference between, uh, I don't know if any of you cook, but if you're cooking with a, a brand new wok, or a wok that's well-seasoned, right? Which one has the better charcoal? The one that's well-seasoned, right? And so for the more mature believer, they have a more seasoned understanding of who God is. John is addressing the mature ones in the faith, the ones who've been walking with God for a long time. Their faith has weathered joys, and it is weathered suffering. The children that he addresses in the previous verse, they know God as Father. Here, these mature believers know God as the God who was from the beginning. When humans show themselves to be undependable, prone to being swept up in hate, God remains steady and unchanging and steadfast in his love. He is our creator and king, and amazingly, we are known by God. Three, abide. Verse 14 also says, and the word of God abides in you. Whose words abide in you? The words you dwell on, that you take into your life, they will affect you. They will shape you. For example, 
I, I don't know who still reads newspapers, but if you abide in newspapers, if newspapers abide in you, what will that lead you to do? My, my guess is that if you abide in newspapers, it will lead you to a life of worry. If you dwell only on Instagram, if it is Instagram that, that you abide in, whatever that means, you're more likely to care more than you should about your appearance and the appearances of others. What we read, what we listen to, what we watch, it will shape your thinking. It will shape your emotional reactions to things. There is no substitute for the word of God as life-giving for our mind and soul. Make sure that you have a diet, a steady diet of God's word. Fourthly, overcome. When we abide in God and his word, then we have the resources to overcome darkness, to overcome the evil one. How, how is that even possible? It says that we are strong and we're able to overcome the evil one. We as very frail human beings. Martin Luther King Jr., known for his nonviolent opposition to hate in the form of racism. Racism is a very common expression of hate. He drew deeply from scriptural wisdom when he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. If we want to overcome hate, we can only do so by drawing close to the one in whom there is no hate. When Jesus was on the cross, after being taken through a, an unjust legal proceeding, proceeding, he was scorned by the public, he was mocked by his executioners, he uttered these words in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's never been better justification for hate in that moment. And yet, what came out of Jesus' mouth, what was in Jesus' heart was a love that leads him to forgive. You will experience injustice. You will experience betrayal. You may experience racism, bigotry, or many other expressions of hate. That is the way of the world. Christ shows us another way. One where hate has no home. The way of Christ leads to life and light but it must be on his terms. You must confess your sin, turn to him, the one who longs to make you better. Will you pray with me? 
Father, we uh, come before you acknowledging you, you are light. And Father, before we encountered you, we knew only darkness. And so, Father, we, for those who have repented and come to faith in you, we praise you that the darkness is in retreat and the light is in advance. We praise you for that. Father, we pray that, that you would help us, guide us as we search our hearts for where there is hate. Even if we've never called it that, even if we don't want to label it that, but that we would recognize that that is playing with darkness. And so, Father, that you would help us draw closer to you, and that as we do, that we would put behind us the acts and feelings and thoughts of hate that we would be quick to forgive others, that we would bask in the forgiveness that you have given to us. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. So taking on all of this hate in the world to the cross and offering forgiveness. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that we can be known by you and that we can know you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.